Well, before we dive back into the book of James, I have a question to ask you this morning. How do you get along with people that you don't really like in your life? Yeah, a little giggling there. That's fair. You know, this is a weird place, right? Church, to ask, how do you get along with people that you don't like? Because we're supposed to like everyone. We're supposed to love everyone, aren't we? But if you're honest, and if I'm honest too, there are probably some people in your life that you find um, a little bit, should we say challenging, maybe? People that challenge you. People that maybe you'd prefer not to be around if you had your choices. How do you get along with people you don't like? Because relationships are tough, aren't they? They are hard. I mean, have you ever had the experience of feeling like you're an outsider? It's not a good feeling, is it? It's rough. It's downright tough. Maybe it's that first week of school And everyone in last year's friend group seems to have found a new group of friends. And you walk in to the cafeteria looking for somebody to sit. And nobody looks your way to beckon you over. And you feel like an outsider. Or maybe you get to gym class. Who remembers this? And the gym teacher picks those two team captains. They're always the biggest jocks in the school. And the rest of us get to line up along the wall and they pick teams. And you're praying, you're hoping that you're not going to be last. And I was always last. Maybe you can identify with that. Or maybe at the place you work, maybe everybody seems to get along and they pretend like you aren't even there or act like you're not. It's hard to feel left out. And maybe there are some people that look at you that way. I mean, there might be some people that want to be friends with you but feel like, Maybe you're unapproachable, or maybe you just don't get them or understand them. And hopefully you're not intentionally trying to exclude anyone, but sometimes other people can feel that way about us. Maybe it's a prejudice or a bias or partiality. I mean, favoritism is common in this world. And the way James describes this issue means to, to elevate or exalt a person based only on something external about them, like their appearance or their wealth or gender, their social status or their position. And favoritism isn't limited to just one race or one group of people. It's a sin that all people, any race, even a whole country can struggle with. And it's ugly wherever it rears its head. On a personal level, favoritism is just as heinous because it turns neighbor against neighbor or it causes the rich to abuse the poor. It can stir up hatred and bitterness in us. Partiality can also pop up in religion from time to time. During the time of Jesus, the Jews were extremely prejudiced. They looked down on women and Samaritans and tax collectors, on uneducated people, and on all outsiders. Basically, everyone who wasn't an educated Jewish male was on the fringe. So James is going to talk with us about all of these things today. And one of the things about human nature is that we tend to hang out with people who are kind of like us, right? We tend to group ourselves by our age or by the hobbies that we like to do or by race or wealth or political opinions or financial status. And 
you don't need me to tell you that this world that we live in today is more polarized than any of us have ever seen in our entire lifetime. Well, that happened in the early church, too. I mean, the teams were different back then, but the game was the same. The rich and the poor didn't get along. Slaves and free people didn't get along. But in the book of Acts, we see this, the Holy Spirit come on people and unite them together. People got saved and they were drawn into the church. We're studying from James chapter 2 this week. I'm going to begin in verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or just sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? We do this in our society, in our culture too, don't we? It always amuses me when I'm flying when I see people who are in first class get to get on board the plane first, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why not let them lounge where they have room to spread out for as long as possible? I mean, nobody on that plane is taking off before anyone else on that plane, right? But instead, they get on board first, and they get their drink, and they get their snack, and then they watch all the rest of us poor slobs schlep our stuff to the back of the plane, you know, back where the, where the restroom is. It's so weird. It's so weird. Well, there was a time in Methodist history when we literally sold the right to the best pews or the best seats in the house. And it was the front row, I got to tell you. you. You know it if you sit up front, right? One group of Methodists didn't think this was right to sell pews. And so they rebelled against that and started a new denomination. The Free Methodists is called that in part because they thought everyone should be able to sit anywhere for free in the church. Now, it's fine if that's the way that things go in this world, I guess, to one degree or another, because in the world you get what you pay for, right? But here at church, you're part of the family. When you're part of the family of God, things should be different. I mean, think about it. Do your parents organize your family by income levels at the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> I, I hope not. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Our God is a God of grace. And heaven is free. I mean, in a family, I pick up the tab for you. In a business, you get what you pay for. When you come to church, it should be different than the world where we judge others by what we see. We look at other people and we prejudge them, which leads to partiality. So what are some things we look for when we judge people on external things? Jewelry, what neighborhood you live in, how beautiful your vacation pictures are or the destination of your vacation, who you hang out with, where you are on the org chart at the place where you work. We look at other people and we judge them. 
Dave Ramsey says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Isn't that true? Oh my goodness, ouch, that hurts. But the key to not looking down on people is to look up to our glorious Jesus, as James calls him in these verses. Jesus is the highest authority in the universe. I mean, we get worried about where we are on that org chart or where we're seated at our family table or where we live, uh, our status in the cul-de-sac, where we live. And we forget that the only seat that matters is the throne of God. Because every single one of us sits under that throne. And so James is saying we should focus our attention there on our glorious Jesus. So if you're struggling with pride and if you're impressed with yourself, then the way to fix that is to look up at our glorious Jesus. Because it doesn't matter what you make today. This is a brief moment, this life that we live, a drop in the bucket of eternity. And someday every single one of us will stand before our glorious Jesus. Picking up in verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name they, you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. There's a difference between the economics of finance and the economics of faith. It is fine to have money, but we also need to pay attention to what's on the inside. And we need to look at money for what it is entrusted to us by God to care for, for a time, to use, to build God's kingdom. We need to hold on to money loosely and use it for the things that God calls us to use it for. Are you as concerned about having the fruits of the Spirit as you are about having the fruits of wealth? It's not an either-or question. We tend to be attracted to people with external assets, don't we? Often because of what we think they can do for us. But if we just focus on these things... We're going to overlook some of the best people in the world who may not have all that fancy other stuff, but they live a life that is fully dedicated to the Lord. Who you are is way more important than what you have. Life is better when we surround ourselves with people who are godly. And James is calling out certain rich people who were doing ungodly things. They were lawyering up. They were taking poor people to church and taking it or to court and taking advantage of them. They were also speaking against their faith. And so they were hurting them both financially, 
and in terms of their faith. James is saying, why do you favor these people who are hurting you? It's not just a condemnation of rich people because they have money. It's a challenge to not show partiality to rich people just because they are rich. You can be godly and rich. You can be godly and poor. Jesus once told a parable about a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. Now, the rich man had everything. He had fine clothes. He ate the best food. He lived in this enormous mansion. Poor Lazarus had nothing. He sat outside the rich man's gates and we're told that his body was covered in sores. Well, in time, poor Lazarus died, and the angels came and carried him up to heaven and seated him right next to Father Abraham. And the rich man also died, but he went to Hades, where he found himself in torment. And still thinking like he had when he was alive on the earth and everyone served him, the rich man asked Father Abraham to send poor Lazarus down to Hades to serve him, to wait on him, to give him some cold water because the heat and the fire was terrible. Are there certain preferences that you've allowed to become prejudices? It's fine to have preferences. We all have preferences. But when preferences become prejudices, we have a problem. When you start looking down on people because they don't dress as nicely as you do, or they might live in the wrong zip code, or they don't send their kids to the places that you send your kids, or they don't retire when you retire, or whatever your litmus test is, then you have a problem. You see, it's self-righteousness and pride that make us think that we're better than others or make us treat people in such a way just to try and get something in return. God is fair and just and objective. This is a fundamental attribute of who God is, and we should strive to follow his example made known to us in Christ. I mean, Christ's ministry was primarily directed to poor people and to the sinners of the earth, not to Pharisees and important leaders. The poor are more receptive to the gospel, and we should emulate Christ's compassion for them. I've always loved Mother Teresa and her example. I've loved reading about her life and her ministry. I think she is an example of a Christian who didn't let preferences or prejudices get in the way of serving people. She once said that she did the things she did because she wanted to do something beautiful for God. I do it for him, she often said. Mother Teresa opened herself up completely to what God wanted of her. In fact, she once made a vow never to refuse God anything that he wanted of her. She simply wanted to be, as she said, like a little pencil in God's hand that allowed God to write mercy into the world through her. Isn't that beautiful? You see, Mother Teresa was able to see the face of Jesus in the faces of the people that she brought God's love and mercy to. She saw the face of Jesus in the poorest of the poor, 
in those who were battling AIDS, to people with terrible disfigurements and diseases, to those abandoned on the streets or dying from malnutrition. It didn't matter to her if the person in need was Catholic or another Christian or Hindu or Muslim. For her, Calcutta was everywhere. And I think Mother Teresa teaches us that when we show mercy, it opens us up to a window through which we can see the face of Christ in all those who suffer in the world. Remember the story that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector who both went up to the temple to pray? The Pharisee was full of himself, wasn't he? He looked down on everyone else. He actually prayed, thank God I'm not like those other people, those robbers, those adulterers, those cheaters, and especially like that tax collector I'm looking down on over there. Meanwhile, the tax collector, he couldn't even raise his eyes to look up to heaven when he prayed. He stood at a distance and he beat his breast and he asked God to have mercy on him because he knew he was a sinner. And Jesus said that it was the tax collector who went home justified before God. We have to get beyond all that outward stuff. Think about Jesus himself. He was unemployed. He was homeless. He didn't have kids. He didn't have a wife. His parents were kind of lowly on the social scale, simple people. Some of his closest friends, we would probably say were sort of sketchy at best, right? And he is the son of God. You see, your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth. And I think some of us need to find freedom in that. You may not be wealthy, but you can be ridiculously generous with the love that you spread around to other people. Every single one of us has limited financial resources, don't we? But we have unlimited resources to love other people. Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean that we're supposed to love others for what we might get from them in return. It's not, how can you be a benefit to me, but how can I be a benefit to you? What is best for you, not what is best for me? And Jesus set the ultimate example of this for us when he went to the cross. You see, the world and the church are vastly different. The world runs on judgment, but the church runs on mercy. Let's pick back up in verse 10. James says, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. See, we tend to have moral outrage against people who we think are worse than us in some way, right? 
I think that's why we tee people up on social media, because if we can make someone else look bad for a minute, maybe it'll take the eyes off of, off of us and, and our badness. I mean, we're trying to grade on a curve, but God's grading system is pass-fail. I mean, if you're trying to be saved by the law, then you have to obey the whole thing all the time. And let's face it, that is an impossible standard. Can I get an amen here? I mean, you and I are never going to be able to do that. So that means we have to be merciful because we want God to be merciful to us. Jesus told another parable about a king who decided to settle up his debts. And he called one of his servants to come in who owed him this enormous amount of money, like an amount of money that no one could possibly ever, ever, ever repay. And the king knew it, and he said, throw the man, sell him into slavery, and sell his family into slavery too until they can work off that debt, which would have been more than a lifetime. And that servant fell down on his knees and begged the king for mercy. And the king listened to the plea of his servant and he took pity on him, and he even just forgave the debt and sent him away debt-free. And then that servant went outside the castle, and he ran into a friend who owed him a few bucks. And he shook him, and he said, pay me what you owe me. And that man said, I can't pay you. And the evil servant said, throw him into debtor's prison until he can pay me back. And word got back to the king, who was furious that the evil servant hadn't shown the same kind of mercy that he had received himself. And so he had him thrown into jail and tortured. There are no perfect people. There is only perfect Jesus. And we killed him. He died for our sins. And so we have a choice are we going to be judged by the law or are we going to accept God's mercy? I don't know about you. <laughs> I 100% want the mercy plan. I 1,000% need the mercy and grace plan. Jesus took my sin and yours so that when he went to the cross, Jesus took all of the judgment and I got all of the mercy. But we have a choice to make. Will you trust Jesus as the one who will pay the price for your sin? Or are you going to try and pay it on your own, with your own plan? Whatever your plan might be, my friend, it is a dangerous plan that's bound to fail. Because the Bible is very clear. We can never earn our salvation. God's standard is to be perfect, and only he is perfect. I am not. And so I need the perfect sacrifice of Jesus to pay the price for my sins. In a few moments, we're going to pray. And if you've never asked Jesus into your life to be your Savior, there is no better time than right here, right now, this very morning, to do just that, to accept the grace that he's giving you. Because when we begin to comprehend the enormous, unfathomable price that Jesus paid for our sins, then we begin to understand 
what is asking us to do in forgiving others. And it all starts with our being able to see other people the same way Jesus sees all people. So how are you doing with loving people who are different than you? Maybe God's been calling out something in you this morning. A judgmental attitude in your life against people who have less. Or people who look different. People who come from a different background. Who are lower on the org chart. Friend, I know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be set free from all of those things. Free to love other people in the same way that Jesus loves us and loves other people. Free to look up to Jesus so we don't look down on others. Free, free to see what's on the inside and not judge by what's on the outside. Free to love and show mercy to all people around us. Will you pray with me and ask God for that freedom today? Let us pray. Holy and loving God, holy and living Lord, we praise your name, for you are good and you are righteous and you are holy and we are not. We thank you, God, for sending Jesus to be our Savior, to be the Savior of the world and our personal Savior. God, I pray for anyone who's never invited you in to be the Lord of their life today, that this would be the day. Come, Lord Jesus, and be the Lord of my life. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And even for those of us that might have walked this Christian life a long time, Jesus, I need your mercy each and every day. You're the Savior of my life every day. And Father, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we have judged other people on external appearances and not on the inward things as you look at people and love them. Would you set us free, God, from judging on external things, no matter what it is? Would you help us see others as you see them? Would you left, let us lift our eyes up to our glorious Lord Jesus? Would you help us to forgive as we've been forgiven? And would you help us love the world in such a way that it's so different from the world that you would draw all the world unto you because people would look at us and, and want what we have what you've so graciously given us in Jesus Christ. These things we pray in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and all God's people said, amen.